I would ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. Uh, that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, and this is, this is going to be a fun one for me. All right, uh, not that it's never not fun to go through the Word of God. I'm not saying that. Uh, but you guys probably know me pretty well by now. We've been here for about a year, and you guys, hopefully you guys know, I'm, I'm a big theology nerd. Uh, like, uh, I'm both big and I'm a nerd with theology. Uh, but uh, I, I, I'm all about theology. I really love it. If you go into uh, my office, you can, you can see books, uh, and, you know, people ask me, have you read all those? And actually, most of them, yeah. Like, uh, I, I, really, I really enjoy theology, and I know sometimes that's not always the case for people, right? Uh, maybe even you're here this morning, and you hear that word theology, and you just start to go, oh no, where's, where's this going to go? Because there are people who take this idea of theology, and they, and they use it like, like a club, and, and they kind of beat people up with it. Uh, and, and sometimes their theology becomes, uh, well, in some ways an idol. Just this, the study of their theology is, is all that they, they think about. And instead of worshiping the God that they're studying, they're worshiping the study of him. Uh, so there is that danger that some, uh, some people face. Uh, but this morning we're going to be talking about the, the mark of a healthy church, uh, mark number three, uh, which is biblical Theology. So Mark number one, we talked about biblical preaching. Uh, last week we talked about discipleship. And, and this week we're going to be talking about biblical theology. So what is theology? That, that's got to be something that we ask ourselves before we jump into our text this morning. Uh, theology, when you break it down, it is theos and logos. And we'll talk about the logos today. All right, but theos and logos, it just means God and study, right, or word. Uh, so, so when you think about biology, it's talking about bios, so, right, you're talking about the body, right? Uh, uh, and, and here this morning, we're talking about theology, we're talking about the study of God, all right? Now, uh, let, let's take all of our, maybe some of the baggage that we bring into that conversation, let's leave them at the front door, and if we just talk about the idea of theology, I think we could all agree that that is a good thing. Right? Uh, it is a good thing to study God. It is a good thing to, to go through the Word of God and say, Oh yes, this is what I believe. And if you have your bulletin on the back here, we'll be going through a few things this morning. Uh, but number one on the, on the top there, uh, it's not number one exactly, but on the top there, theology is what you believe about God. It, it's, it's what you have come to when you study the Word of God. And, and you go through it and say, all right, well, this passage says this about God, and this passage says that about God, and, and you start to build this system in your mind, right, uh, of, all right, well, if God says that he doesn't change, right, then you take that idea and you apply it to salvation, and you can know that God will never change his mind about people that get saved, all right, well, we start to build systems around that. Um, there, there are different ways of studying theology. Uh, there's historical theology, which looks at, uh, it's a liberal way of doing it and looking at how the church has kind of, you know, through 2,000 years, how we've developed some of our doctrines, all right, uh, which it's a good thing to study history, but that we don't base everything off of history, do we? Uh, we are not a confessional church here this morning, even though you've probably heard me talk about the Westminster Confession or 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. 
Uh, those are good documents, uh, but we, we have this one document that rules our church, right? The Word of God. All right, so we, we're not historical theologians. We're not, uh, and don't, don't get the wrong idea here when I say biblical theologians. Uh, it's a different way of doing it, uh, of uh, saying, all right, well, let's go through with this author and kind of uh, mush things together. Uh, it, it says, let's not deal with philosophy. All right, let, let's just deal with what the Word of God says. But at the same mind, uh, uh, or at the same time, you have a mind, right? You have a mind here this morning, and so as you look at the Word of God, you are already filtering it through philosophy, right? Because you have to use your mind to think about what the Word of God says, all right? So that, that kind of falls through, but I, I would say that here at Fairmont Baptist Church, we are systematic theologians, that we look at the Word of God, and, and like I said, if, if, if God is uh, never changing, that he is always the same, then that helps us with other ideas of who God is, right? And, and that helps us to develop that theology. And so we take the word of God, and when it talks about a certain subject, we find what it says in the word of God, and we build our theology from there. We build out what we believe about God from the word of God. And we do it in a systemized way, because that's how our minds work, Right? Uh, we, we, we deal with that all the time. We build systems for all different kinds of things. Look at your phone. If you go through your contacts, are they set up with uh, uh, you know, everyone in one, uh, one page? Maybe if you're not into technology, maybe that's the way it is. But most of the time you can put, well, these are my work friends. These are my church friends. This is my family. You, know, you kind of build systems. That's the way our mind works. And so we take the Word of God and we study it to see what the Word of God says about a particular subject. And then we make systems about it. And we say, all right, well, if this is true, then this also must be true. All right, and so theology is what you believe about God. And I would argue that everyone is a theologian. Now, not everyone is a good theologian. That's the problem. All right, because uh, you don't have to go to seminary. Uh, you don't have to go to Bible college to become a theologian. Because you already, I, 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 would, I don't even need to ask for hands. What if, do you have beliefs about God this morning? I think you do, right? You're here this morning. So that kind of already says that you have beliefs about God. And some of those beliefs are the same. If you're a member here at Fairmont Baptist, you agree with the statement of belief, right? So we, we, we would believe all those same things. But then there are some things that we leave out of there, right? Or we could have some difference of opinions, right? So we, we, everyone is a theologian. Everyone has beliefs about God. But really the question then becomes, are we good theologians or not? Uh, and like I said, uh, just because you're right about theology. Uh, I'll give you an example. My hometown pastor growing up, uh, he was a reformed guy. Uh, I, I've talked about this a couple times. I am a reformed guy, uh, but I was not always that way. Uh, my, my hometown pastor, he, he was all about theology. He was talking about it all the time, uh, but um, uh, maybe it was part of his personality, but there wasn't much love from him, and, and, and so that kind of turned me off from that. There, some people take theology, and like I said, they use it like a club to beat people down. And we don't want to do that. If you, if you look in your bulletin on the side, I always try to put a weekly thought in there. And most of the time it goes with the sermon. Uh, today is uh, particularly that way. Uh, Paul David Tripp, he's, he's a, uh, more of a counselor, I'd say, than a theologian. But he, he said this, I really liked it. Uh, theology without love simply is very bad theology. All right, you can be right... Right? And spouses, you know this. Uh, you could be right, but say it or act that, that, that idea out in a wrong way. 
right? So we want to be good theologians and that we know what is right in the word of God, but also that we live it out, all right? So theology isn't just some kind of we sit in a room and we study this book and we write things out and we're very formalized with it, but then we don't do anything about it, all right? We, we need to be practical theologians. We need to study the word of God and live it out. Like James says, we don't want to look into the word of God like it's a mirror and then walk away and immediately forget what we look at, like, right? We want to live it out. And so, instead of, because it, it's a very easy and tempting thing for me uh, to be, all right, well, we're going to do this 45-minute sermon about theology, just the idea of theology. That's a very tempting, uh, tempting thing for me. But we're not going to do that. What we're going to do instead is we're going to look at the word of God and we're going to come to theological positions based on the Word of God. All right, we're going to do uh, a case study in theology this morning. And as we do it, I hope that this helps you. And, and maybe when you're sitting at home and you're thinking, all right, how, how, what do I think about God? Uh, that you go to Scripture and say, all right, well, we have to get it from Scripture and, and, and build your theology that way. So we're going to go to, I think... Uh, probably the most theologically rich passage there is in the Bible. It's in John chapter 1. Uh, maybe, maybe some of you have it memorized. I, I hope you do. It's a beautiful passage. Uh, John 1, and, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 5 this morning. All right, John 1, uh, starting at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him, the Word, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray, and then we will study it together. Heavenly Father, again we come before you, and we ask that you would be with us now. Lord, uh, I pray that you would help us to maybe uh, take the, the baggage that we have, maybe preconceived thoughts, and then we, we would set them at the door. And Lord, as we look at your text, that we would see it uh, for what it means. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your servant, John, who wrote this for us. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that, uh, that your working in his mind and in his heart uh, would not be in vain. Uh, and uh, again, Lord, that your word would go forth that it would fulfill its purpose, and Lord, that we would understand uh, how to be good theologians, how to be good uh, studiers of you, students of you, uh, this morning through this passage. And, and I pray that you would use it to, to impact our hearts and, and our lives as well. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so a lot of intro. All right, but we, we do need to understand a little bit about the book of John as we dive into this passage, because we can't just jump in without knowing anything about him. We know that John uh, was a disciple. Uh, we know that he's the beloved disciple, right? Uh, that's what he calls himself, and uh, we don't know exactly what that means, if that means that he was uh, uh, Jesus' best friend, or if he was just referring to himself as that because he knew that he was loved by Christ. Uh, but he, he is a disciple. He's very close. We always see him, right? When, when things get narrow, when Jesus is like, all right, you know, 
other disciples, you go away. I have something to reveal to just a select few of you. Who is it that Jesus always takes with him? Peter, James, and John, right? Uh, he was very close to the Mount of Transfiguration. He's there when Jairus' daughter is raised from the dead. He's there. Uh, all these very close, intimate scenarios, right? He's there with Christ. Uh, he was a former fisherman. Uh, and then in uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 17, he gets called to be the fisher of men along with Peter. Uh, so a fisherman wrote this amazing gospel, uh, which is a miracle. I want you to understand that. This is, uh, this is, like I said, the most theologically rich passage that we have in the New Testament. And a fisherman wrote it. Like, just think about that. That's what God does. Uh, when, when everyone else, and like even the questions that are going to be asked here, uh, uh, philosophers have been wondering about this, these things for thousands of years. And who is it that God is going to use to reveal that to the world? A fisherman. Uh, and, and we know the reason why he wrote it. It's found in John chapter 20, verse 31, when he gives a reasoning why he wrote uh, his entire gospel. He says this, But these are written, You might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So the theme, really, of John's gospel is a good Christology. All right? And uh, if big words like that scare you, you just got to break it down, right? Theology, God, study. Right? Christology, Christ, study. All right? So that, that, that's basically what John's gospel is all about. It's understanding who Jesus is. And so he builds that. In these first five verses, we're going to look at basically uh, who Jesus is. And basically everything that you need to know. Everything you need to know about Jesus is found in these five verses. All right, so what is that? Well, let's start right there at the beginning. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. All right, this, this is huge. Uh, this is a Greek equivalent to the Hebrew uh, phrase in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the same thing. In the beginning. Uh, so this is not just a reference to Jesus' life. All right? Some people will try to take that and say, well, it's just talking about uh, in the beginning of Jesus' life. No, but this is an exact uh, copying of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. All right? So if you think about that, we're talking about the beginning of all of existence, right? Uh, all of creation. And in that beginning was the word. Now, uh, we're not all Greek uh, uh, professors or anything like that, but if we were to do just a little bit of study on this word was, we can come to some really awesome conclusions. All right, uh, This is not just meaning that he was already there, or uh, that he was just uh, there when it happened. Uh, like maybe, maybe you would think of uh, there's an accident, and you would say, I was there. And maybe that means that, that you just kind of showed up and you saw maybe the tail end of it. All right, but this word, uh, it, it, the, the phrasing here uh, is amy. It's a, the imperfect form of it, which means that this was a continuous action in the past. I've said it many times that we could glorify God for the fact that God chose this timing to write down the New Testament because the wording in Greek is so exact. All right, what this word means is that in the beginning, Jesus, who is the Word, we see that in uh, verse 14, 
the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Right? So we know that the word is Jesus. And what this word for was means is that in the beginning, Jesus was continuing to exist. That's huge. Right? If we're trying to understand who Jesus is, right, and we're trying to build this theology of who Jesus is, Christology, we can look at that passage and we can say, Jesus is eternal. That's number one there on John, uh, under John chapter 1. Jesus is eternal. In the beginning, when everything else was being created, when the Spirit was hovering over the waters, right, then Jesus was already continuing to exist. In the beginning, the Word was continuing to exist. That's awesome. All right, that, that means that Jesus doesn't have a beginning. And uh, even if we're thinking about it and we think, well, I don't know about that. The Greek word is kind of like, I don't know Greek. You could, you could just be you know, spouting something off to me. I promise you I'm not. You could look it up online. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll look at it in a second. We can clearly conclude it here in a minute. All right? But uh, I want to just say that this is different than uh, anything else that the, that the writer John here uses for coming into existence. All right? This is distinct. Because if it was something like, in the beginning the word came forth or something like that or uh, like the, the birth of the word if you will All right, then it would be agoneto and we know that because in verse 6 there was a man sent from God whose name was John he came as a witness uh, uh, to bear witness about the light that all might believe in him he was not the light but came to bear witness about the light All right, he, he, he was born right uh, we, we see that with John the Baptist. That's the reference to John the Baptist. Here he uses the word agoneto to say he was coming into, his, uh, into existence. That's not what he says about the word. All right? He was continuing to exist. Now, uh, the word, that, that's, an, uh, you know, for pun intended, I guess, it's, it's a beautiful word. All right? uh, because it's saying that this is the expression of something. All right? uh, this was a word uh, used by Greek philosophers to refer to the mind, to divine reason, and even wisdom. Uh, we see these in uh, extra-biblical writings or outside of the Bible of people talking about uh, the, the Word, and they're talking about wisdom and uh, basically some uh, supernatural knowledge. And here, John is taking that and putting a little twist on it and saying, basically, everything that you guys are searching for in the world of, of wisdom and knowledge, that's Jesus. He's God. He is all-knowing. So in the beginning, the Word was continuing to exist. All right? So uh, He was continuing to exist. And what? And the Word was with God. All right? So uh, here we see that Jesus is eternal. And here Jesus is even with God. All right, this is not uh, a word that means uh, maybe that, that you, know, you go somewhere and you bring someone with you. All right, uh, uh, it doesn't mean that. It means face-to-face. -face. I think that would actually probably be a better translation for this verse. All right, but face-to-face. -face. Uh, who can face God? Right? If, if we think about theology and we think about taking the Bible and seeing who could be with God... Uh, who could be face to face with him? Can anyone? No, right? Even even the the seraphim, 
right? Uh, or, uh, all, all these beautiful, amazing angels with all these crazy descriptions of their six wings and all, like all those kinds of things. They, they use one to cover their face because then they're in the presence of God. But not the Word. The Word was with God. He was face to face with God. What this means is that these two are on equal standing. All right? Our theology is building, isn't it? All right? The Word, Jesus... Again, we know that from verse 14. All right, Jesus continued to exist at the beginning, so he was before the beginning. And he's face-to-face with God. He's even with God. And then we have the clear statement. All right, what we, well, the biggest thing that we need to know. All right, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And what? The Word was God. That is so important. If, if you know this about Jesus, everything else will fall into place. The Word was God. It's a powerful statement. All right, so Jesus is eternal. In, your, in your, the back of your bulletins, Jesus is eternal. And Jesus is God. All right, now some, some try to twist this. Uh, maybe, maybe you've had uh, uh, maybe Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door. And uh, this is something that... Uh, they, they like to espouse in their translations, which are, I use that word translation, um, um, you know, just, uh, it's, it's not a good translation, I'll just put it that way. All right, but they, they bring it and they say, all right, well, in this passage, they have it translated as, uh, and the word was a God. And, and they take the, the capital G that you have probably in your uh, translation, and they make it a lowercase g. All right. The problem with that is, uh, well, first, it doesn't make sense linguistically, like in the Greek, but we don't even have to know Greek to know that that's wrong, all right? Because uh, if we're thinking about theology and we're thinking about how we take the Word of God in sections and see, all right, well, uh, how many gods are there? It's one God, right? Uh, we, we know uh, in Deuteronomy when God is talking to his people and he says, no. That God is one. Alright, so there's not like this pantheon of gods. Uh, of like maybe like the, the ancient Greeks believed. Of everyone's living on Olympus and there's the God of war, there's the God of love, blah, 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 blah. Alright, we know from the word of God that there is one God. Alright, so there, there are not several. Uh, there are three persons and that's a difference. All right, but we still believe in one God. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. All right, but even when we look at this passage, we can't put in A and, and say that there's more because we know the Word of God and we know that there is one. All right, but let's go even beyond that. Verse chapter 2, or verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. All right, so here we have categories. I love what John is doing here. He's putting these, these, uh, the, the word into different categories here. All right, we have all things remain through him. So we have this one category, and let's call it created all right, or creation. And then he says, without him was not anything made that was made. All right, so there's creation and non-created. And what John is saying here is that 
The Word created everything. So if you think about that, what would that include? Well, if, if you go with and you say, well, I guess the Jehovah's Witnesses have a point. Maybe, maybe we could say that it is a God. Well, then Jesus would have to create himself. Right? Jesus would have to create himself. If, he's, uh, if he created all things, and let's say that he is a created being himself, then Jesus would have had to put himself into that category of creation because he made all things. The logic falls apart, right? This is why we are systematic theologians, because we use the Word of God, and we use our minds and logic and philosophy, and we bring that to it as well, elevating the Word of God far beyond that, right? And we can understand the Word of God and clearly see what it says. Right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He is, uh, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made so jesus jesus is eternal jesus is god and jesus is creator now you might go wait uh that that doesn't compute right because uh like we we get taught ever since we were a little kid right like uh uh who who made everything that's a question i ask my boys all the time and what is their answer what do you think their answer is god all right, and most of the time when we say that, we automatically make the distinction in our mind of, well, that must mean God the Father. But here, we see that Jesus is clearly, the Word is the one who made all things. It was through Him. Now, to reconcile what we know from other passages about God creating the world, well, we can say that Jesus is the Creator. He is the power Behind creation, everything that exists, you are here because of Jesus. But also the Father is there as well. And there is this beautiful interaction that is happening within the Trinity. When we look at this passage, and let's say, again, that we go back to Genesis 1, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And the earth was void, right? It was without form. And the Spirit of God moved upon the waters, now, as we look back, we can clearly see the Trinity at work, right? We can see the Father is, I'll say it for all intents and purposes, He's the architect of creation. Jesus is the power behind creation, and the Holy Spirit is involved there too. How beautiful is that? When we know theology, when we study theology, and we look at passages like this, look what can happen from that. Look what the, the richness that it does our soul. All right, Jesus is the creator. We see that in Colossians 1. Uh, let's even turn there quickly. Uh, I'll probably read it for our closing today too. But uh, Colossians chapter 1 starting at verse 15. He is, talking about Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things, very similar to John chapter 1, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So just in case people were trying to uh, find a wiggle out there and say, well, He's talking... Uh, he's, he's talking about me. Maybe angels aren't included in there. Visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all spiritual things that he refers to, uh, that Paul refers to in all of his writings when he's talking about put on the armor of God, right? Because we do not wrestle what? Against flesh and blood. We wrestle against 
Similar things, right? Dominions, rulers, authorities. These are spiritual things. All things were created through him and for him. See what happens in our theology when we properly understand the word of God. When we see Jesus is the creator, all of a sudden things take a different shape. Because we see, oh, it was created for him. Who's the him? Jesus. We can begin to see our theology kind of shift from an Old Testament view of thinking that uh, everything is about the Father, and I'd say that that would be technically true. But we start to see things shift to a Christ-centered theology. Why do you exist? For Jesus' good pleasure. Why are you created? Because Jesus made you. Right? We can begin to see what happens. Jesus is elevated. Right? Uh, so everything was made for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now we understand why Paul says that, why in everything he could be preeminent. Because Jesus is God, because he created you, because everything was created for him. Right? That, that's what happens. So Jesus is creator, but he's not just that. Let's turn back to John chapter 1, verse 4. Still continuing this idea of that Jesus was before the beginning, created all things, uh, and he goes into this next thought, verse 4. In him, in Jesus, the word was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life. What does that mean? What is this life? Is it referring back to verse 3, showing how that Christ is the creator? Or is it something different? Well, I believe that the life here mentioned is not just physical life, but it's talking about spiritual life. We know that from other passages. Right? Um, we know it from Acts 4, verse 12. What does Peter say? Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. All right, our theology is building once again. Yes, Jesus is God. Yes, Jesus is creator. But also, Jesus is Savior. In him was life. In him alone was life. Uh, this is... Uh, and then he goes on. He says, in him was life, but this life is the light of men. Is the fulfillment of the Messianic prophecy, um, Jesus being the Messiah, uh, found in Isaiah 9, verse 2, of the Messiah, that he would be the light of the world. So what does it mean? What does it mean? We, we get life. It's talking about spiritual life. That uh, We can only find that in Jesus. Uh, we cannot find that in any other thing. Like we even sung about this morning, you won't find it in gold or silver. We need Jesus. All right. But what does it mean that he is the light of men? Well, we, we know how lights work, right? Uh, if, it's, uh, if you want to go around in a building, what are you going to do? First thing you're going to do. You'll flip on the... You'll flip on the lights, right? It's dark. You don't want to stumble around. You don't want to stub your toe. Uh, you don't want to see if there's <laughs> someone in there or something like that. So you will flip on the lights, and you'll go in because the light is by... Basically, how you see everything. It's your perspective. All right, so light shows uh, what is going on around you. And so he says that 
John says that Jesus is the light of men. So without Jesus, again, building our theology, without Jesus, you can't see. You can't see what's really happening around you. Right? And we see that. We see that so clearly, right? Uh, even in our own lives, maybe, maybe uh, before you came to Christ, if you're a Christian here this morning, you believe in Jesus Christ, you've repented of your sin, you've become a Christian, now you understand what's going on, right? Maybe you didn't before. You didn't understand uh, you know, why things were happening in the world, why there's evil in the world. Right? But after you come to know Christ and you start to read in the Word of God, you get it. Right? We don't know what's happening. We don't understand why doing that thing that I think is going to satisfy me uh, never does. Why is that? After Jesus, we, we understand that, don't we? And we can see that in the world. We can see our friends and our family who don't know Christ. Our neighborhood who doesn't know Christ. And we can see that they don't know what's going on. They don't see it because they don't have the light. They don't, they don't have the lights turned on. It's darkness still for them. All right, but Jesus, he is the, the life and the light of men. And what does it say? What is this light doing? It's beautiful. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So light is doing something. It is Shining. Uh, this verb for shine is present active indicative. And I'm sorry if I'm boring you with the Greek jargon. All right, but it's so important in this passage. All right, because what it means is that it's a continuous action. All right, it, it's not just it, it shined and it's done. The idea is that the light is shining and it's going to continue. All right, so when we're talking about Jesus, what he does for us, Yes, he is eternal. Yes, he is God. Yes, he is creator. And he is savior. And he is offering that light. The light is still shining. All right, it's not just in Jesus' time, but it's going to continue. Uh, the idea is that there's, there's no end here. There's no end. And the light is still then shining today. So what does that mean for us today? Is that salvation is still being presented. It's still being shown. It's still being shown to people today. Through the atoning work of Christ on the cross, salvation can be found. So Jesus is the Savior. And uh, this light is still being presented. Uh, but where, where is it shining? Where is it shining? It says, in the darkness. That, that's, that's us. That's us outside of Christ. Before, before we come to know Christ as our Savior... We're the darkness. The world is the darkness. Where, where people don't know what's going on. Where they don't understand what their sin is really doing to them. And the, the effects of their sin. They don't know that there's eternal punishment. Maybe they have some kind of inkling about it. But they don't get it. Well, the light is still shining in that darkness. First uh, Peter 2 verse 9. But you, uh, talking about saints. But you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people. That you might proclaim the praises of him who called you out of what? Darkness into his marvelous light. That's what he's talking about. Alright, so the light is shining in the darkness. Uh, and there's this 
awesome thing that is happening. Uh, your Bible might say it a little bit differently based on translation. All right, but in mine, in the ESV, it says the darkness has not overcome it. How beautiful is that? Look at our theology. Look at how it's growing. All right, Christ, we see. He is in the beginning. He's eternal. He is God. He is the Savior. He, uh, he is the Creator. And here we see that His salvation cannot be thwarted. This is awesome. All right, the light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, has not beat it. Uh, maybe your, um, your Bible might say, uh, hasn't apprehended it. Darkness ain't going to win. It's as simple as that. At no point. Because we're talking about the light continuing to shine. And the darkness will not overcome that light. Alright, so it's, it's like the, the phrase that we often say, we know the end of the book. Right? We know how things are going to turn out. It just gives us confidence in our souls of knowing that salvation is being offered. And no one is going to be able to cut off that salvation. So it's going out there in the darkness. And, and you know, we're talking about maybe some of the shadowy areas and the, the pitch black. It's going all over. And, and what it says is that there is salvation. It's found in Jesus. And that no one can take that away. No one can beat that. So here, I didn't put it in there, but you could write Jesus is sovereign. He beats everyone. The darkness won't win. And I know sometimes when you read the news and, and you see things happening around the world, you can think that way, right? You can, you can easily fall into that trap of being, man, things, things are terrible. But isn't that a beautiful promise? The light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. So Jesus, God, the Creator, Savior is still offering salvation to those who will repent of their sin and turn to Him to come from that utter darkness and into His marvelous light. That is theology. Don't be scared about that word. Like I said, yeah, some people use it in the wrong way and they, uh, maybe they worship just the study of God rather than the God whom they study. Right? Uh, but when we look at this passage, this is how you build theology. You go through the Word of God and say, what do you say for yourself? How do you describe yourself? And that way we can learn about it and we can know Him better. And that, that's really what theology is. It's, it's studying God to know Him better. And that theology is important. Because it's what you believe about God. And there is separation that happens because of that. Right? Uh, I talked about the Jehovah's Witnesses this morning. Our theology separates us from them. Right? If you believe that Jesus is a created being, that's not Christianity. Right? It's, it's as simple as that. And that's what happens with our theology. Sometimes it unifies. Right? Here at, this, uh, at, our, at our church, you know, we, we have the statement of belief. And if you want to become a member of our church, we all believe the same thing, and it unifies us. Our theology, our doctrine, unifies us. But those who, who would come from the outside, who, who would question core basic things like what we talked about this morning, that's when our theology separates. 
and it's good when it separates. It's good when we can say, this is what I believe about the word of God. I'm going to go with it rather than what you're saying. Because it's important. What we believe about God is everything to us. So when, when you're thinking about it, and you're going through a passage, ask those questions. Ask those simple theological questions. What does it say about God? What does it say about Jesus? Build your theology. Uh, build your study of God. Write it down in a book. See how encouraging it is to your soul to know that Jesus is eternal. He wasn't created. He is before all things. Jesus is God. He is equal with him. Same attributes. He's always existed. He will always exist. He is the creator. He made you. Uh, he has a purpose for you. You are his. When you really think about it, you are Jesus' property. So yes, he gets to have a say on your life. And that he is the savior. And that light that he offers, that salvation, is shown into the darkness and it will never be extinguished. That's what theology does for us. It it helps us to know God, and it encourages our soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I do give you praise for your Son. Lord, I, I thank you that you, you sent him into this world. Lord, as we see about in Philippians chapter 2, he came in the form of a servant. He was just like me. He was fragile. Uh, but he was also God. And Lord, we know that that beginning of his earthly life was not his beginning. In the beginning was the word. He was continuing to exist. He is God. He is equal with you, the Father. And he is my creator. And he is my savior. And he offers that to anyone who will believe in him. God, I thank you that you have shown us in your word uh, a beautiful, a beautiful Christology, a beautiful study of Christ. And Lord, I pray that it was encouraging for our souls this morning. Maybe we're facing difficult times and, and, and uh, maybe something is hard in our lives. Maybe there's a sin in our life that we just can't conquer on our own. We have God on our side. We believe in Jesus. And he is sovereign. And he will help us. I pray that you would help us to have courage from that and that we would be in prayer and asking Jesus for that help. God, I, I thank you for your servant, John, who wrote these beautiful words and that we have the answer to the question. Where did Jesus come from? We know it. He has come from eternity. He is God. Where did we come from? We came from Jesus. What does our Creator want with us to offer us salvation? God, I thank you for the richness that we find, uh, the treasures that we have in your word. And I pray that we would live that out. That even as we think about uh, people in our own lives uh, who don't know Christ, that we would be mirrors of that light. Uh, that we would shine it to the darkness. Uh, that we would tell them, like, like Peter says in Acts 4, that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's only in Jesus. I pray that we would tell them that. I pray that we would live it out, that we would be faithful uh, with the theology that we believe. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.